heard a story about a little boy whose birthday was in November and he really wanted a new bike. And so in the week before his birthday, he got down on his knees and he said, Dear Lord, please give me a new bike. Dear Lord, please give me a new bike for my birthday. His birthday came and he didn't get a bike and he was sorely disappointed. But then he realized it's actually Christmas just around the corner, so I've got another shot at this. Uh, and so he's a church around Christmas with his family and they're praying and he gets on his knees in church and he says dear Lord for Christmas please let me get a new bike dear Lord for Christmas please let me get a new bike and then he begins to think about how a month before he had prayed the same prayer for his birthday and it hadn't happened and he gets a little bit annoyed so he's walking out of, out of the church that day and at the back of the church there's the nativity scene. There's Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and all of that and he has an idea and there's nobody looking and when nobody's looking, he, he takes uh, the statue of Mary, puts it up his jumper, and leaves. He gets home, he takes out a blanket, wraps up Mary, puts it in his drawer, gets on his knees, and says, Dear Jesus, if I don't get a bike for Christmas, you'll never see your mom again. <laughs> Some of us think that's what we have to do with God. We've got to somehow uh, bargain with him, manipulate him, blackmail him almost into answering our prayers and to doing the things we want him to do. How many of us, I'd say all of us at some stage have said something like this, God, if you do this, I'll do this. It's normally when you've got yourself into a mess, isn't it? You know, you've got yourself into some sort of fix that you can't get out of. And you go, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. And he gets you out of that, and two weeks later, you're back to where you were. Or, God, if you give me this boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll serve you forever. Or, Lord, if you get me out of this relationship, I'll serve you forever. And we make these bargains with God, and we somehow think we can manipulate or cajole or persuade God to answer our prayers. The other example I sometimes give is, you know, we're in prayer meetings, and we feel like we, if, if we just give God, God a big enough sob story somehow, you know, we'll win him around. So we'll say, Lord, you know Sadie, Sadie who lives in the 20 Avenue, is it 20 Avenue Road or 22? Lord, you know where she lives, it's 2020, Lord. And you know about the bunions on Sadie's feet, and Lord, you know that she's never done a bad thing in her life, and she fills missionary boxes every year. And so, Lord, and, and she's never, she's never misses church, but those bunions are preventing her. So, Lord... If you would just heal her of those bunions, and it's almost like God's going, I didn't realize she filled a missionary box. Gabriel, go sort out the bunions. You know, it's like we somehow feel that we can manipulate or twist God's arm. God, if you do this, we'll do this. God, these are all the reasons you should answer our prayers. We think that God's a bit like Santa Claus. He's checking out who's been naughty or nice. And that will uh, determine how he responds to us. But let me ask the question, to this morning, how can we attract more of God's goodness into our lives? How can we attract more of his favor and his blessing? Is it even possible to attract more of God's goodness? Or is it just kind of set that everybody, a bit like the caste system that they have in some places in Asia, people are allotted a certain lot in life and you're just kind of stuck there or with God, you know, is, there so, is it kind of just arbitrary that some people just seem to have more blessing than others? We're going to be looking at today about finding favor. Because as I read the Christmas story, Christmas is a time. Christmas and Easter are actually the two times when it's hardest for preachers. Because you all know the story. And I find myself reading the text and going, God, give me a word. Give me a word this year. And the word that kept jumping off the page this year was favor. We're going to talk about favor this morning.
Look at what it says in Luke 1. There's an old godly lady, Elizabeth, who's well past her childbearing years. And she encounters an angel who tells her that she's pregnant. And this is what uh, Elizabeth says. She says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then we get to Mary. Mary's one of those people who, in some circles, is elevated too highly, and in other circles, isn't uh, given any attention at all. Let me say that Mary wasn't some saintly, superhuman woman who's worthy of worship. She wasn't a perpetual virgin. Jesus had brothers that we read about in the Bible. Nor should we pray to her, nor should we pray through her. Okay, so some people elevate Mary to a place that she should never be. A number of years ago, this uh, new story was reported all over the world. Virgin Mary Toast fetches $28,000. True story. A decade-old toasted cheese sandwich said to bear an image of the Virgin Mary sold on eBay for $28,000. And then the casino uh, confirmed it had purchased a sandwich and it'll take it on a tour around the world and then give the money to charity. Diane Douser, I guess it's that lovely lady there, um, from Florida said the sandwich has never gone mouldy since she made it 10 years ago. Uh, last week she told reporters that the sandwich had brought her luck including winnings of $70,000 at a casino near her Florida home. I mean, that's just what God wants, is you to go gambling and he'll bless you in the casino. Miss Dicer said she noticed the image burnt into her sandwich as she was about to tuck into it. These are her words. I went to take a bite out of it, and then I saw this lady looking back at me. It scared me at first. Judging by her lipstick, I'd say that the lady on the sandwich might have been scared as well. It looks like she's put it on with a paintball gun. Um... The item, has inspired, yeah, the item has inspired sellers to, to place dozens of spin-off items, including replica burnt toast, T-shirts, and ornamental plates. One uh, seller is even offering a Virgin Mary sandwich toaster, although the item description does include the caveat that the, item, that the item may or may not reproduce the Virgin Mary image. I mean, nobody would be more upset about rubbish than that than the Virgin Mary because she knew she was nothing special. She knew she was no big deal. In fact, she knew that the very reason that God had chosen her was because she was so ordinary. She was not the source of grace. She was a recipient of God's grace. That's what makes her special at all. That's what... Uh, that's, that's what... The, what makes her significant is the measure of favor God put on her life. Look at what we read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel de Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So here we have that word favor again. In fact, Mary's not just favored. She is highly favored. And then if we keep reading verses 29 to 30, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. She's found 
favor. And then we go down the page a little. Mary visits Elizabeth, probably her aunt. And we read that Elizabeth's baby, which has turned out to be John the Baptist, jumps in the womb. And Elizabeth says this, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then we go into chapter two, the shepherds are out in the field uh, watching their flocks by night. And an angel appears and tells him to go and look for the baby born in Bethlehem. And we read this, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The nativity story, the Christmas story, is covered in favor. It's saturated in favor. There's favor all over it. So what is favor? What is favor from God? It's a word we don't use an awful lot anymore. We might say to somebody here, would you do us a favor? In other words, what we're saying is, will you do something without any expectation of getting anything back in return? See, if you get paid this month or this week or whatever it is by your company or your boss, and you just get paid what you're owed, that's not favor. That's just what you deserve. That's what you've worked for. But if you open your pay packet next week and there's 500 pounds Christmas bonus in there, you know that that is favor. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's favor. It's not something that you, you worked for. It was simply something that was given to you without you having to earn it. See, there's a number of words used in the Bible for favor. And one of the most common in the New Testament is the Greek word charis, which some of you will know. It's a name that some people have. Charis also means grace. And in the New Testament, in some places, the Greek word charis was translated grace. And in other places, it's translated as favor. And even in English, we will say, if uh, we have favor with somebody important, we'll say, I got into their good graces. So those two words are inextricably linked. Grace and favor are very close to each other. We know that grace is something that God gives us in Christ. We don't earn salvation. We don't deserve it. We can't work for it. It's not through works. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that we are saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. So, so, so grace is, is, is us receiving forgiveness from God that we didn't earn or deserve. But what is favor? What is God's favor and how do we define it? Here's a few things that I think can help us understand what God's favor is. God doing something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Have you ever had that where something happens in your life and you go, that could not have been me. Like that had to be God. Somebody told me last week or the week before that they'd got a job that they were really underqualified for and it was more pay than they were earning right now. And they, they said, that's just, that's favor. That's God's favor. Have you ever um, went to sit an exam and you just, you, you thought, I am not anywhere near prepared for this. And you look at the questions on the paper and they're the only things you didn't study. Uh, and you somehow managed to get 70 or 80. And you're like, that had to be God's favor. Some of you, when you passed your driving test, it was definitely God's favor. It wasn't his favor on the rest of us, but it was his favor on you. Some of you, you look at the, you know, the person you're with and you're like, that had to be God's favor. Because like, that did not 
you know, um, or, or maybe they should go to Specsavers. It, it could be, but, but God's favor is God doing something for you on your behalf that you couldn't do for yourself. It's, a, it's an empowering grace. It's a powerful purpose. It's a tangible, visible sign of God's goodness displayed in your life. It's unusual, uncommon blessing. It's a supernatural advantage. And like grace, favor is not earned. It's not deserved. God isn't making a list and checking it twice. That's not God. That's not grace. Grace and favor aren't dependent on how good or moral you are, but how good and abundant and loving and kind and generous and faithful our God is. That's why we receive grace and favor. So we don't earn God's grace. And we can't earn his favor. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. And this is key. This is the linchpin on which the rest of the message hinges. We can't earn God's favor, but we can position ourselves to receive more of it. Okay, we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we can posture and position our lives in such a way that we can receive more of it. We have a part to play. Think about salvation. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we do respond to it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What did we do for him to do that? Nothing. We have absolutely no part in it. God gave his son for the entire cosmos, the entire world, every single human ever born. God gave his son to die for them. But that's only half the verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life whosoever is our response to God's grace. That there's millions of people, billions of people who will never respond to the gospel. Even though Jesus died for them, they will not respond because they choose not to, because their eyes have been blinded, whatever it is. But for those who respond and receive what God freely offers, it is made available to them. And I think favor is a bit like that. Favor is offered to everybody freely, but we receive it. It's about how we position our lives. We posture our hearts to receive it. I like the way one book I was reading this week put it. It said this, favor is not something we're entitled to, it's something we're invited to. God's favor is not something you and I are entitled to, but he invites us to it. God loves everyone the same. But let's be honest, not everyone seems to have the same amount of favor in their lives. Like we just look at people sometimes and everything they touch seems to turn to gold. Have you ever met somebody like that? Aren't they really annoying? Like everything you touch seems to turn to something else. And everything they touch, just everything just seems easy. Things that you find difficult, they seem to flow through life. There just seems to be a, a favor upon them. Like they just seem to have a charmed life. They seem, everything just seems to go easy. And things that you would struggle with, they just don't even break a sweat with. They just seem to have this lovely life. They seem to, everything just seems to go great for them. They excel. They, they make things look easy. And then you look at them and you can begin to look at yourself and think, well, God obviously loves them more than he loves me. Like, they must be God's favorite. Friends, Paul and Priscilla Reed, who come down here, Priscilla and and Paul are coming down in February. They have four daughters. 
I always feel sorry for Paul growing up in a house with five women. Um, uh, but uh, Paul, Paul does this thing on uh, every time it's one of his daughter's birthday. He'll put on Facebook with a photo of his daughter. He'll put a photo of Lucy on and he'll say, Happy birthday, Lucy, my favorite daughter. Then a few months later, he'll put a photo of Amy on. Happy birthday, Amy, my favorite daughter. And then a few months later, Debbie or Susie, happy birthday to my favorite daughter. All of them are his favorites. And I want to say to you that you're God's favorite because I know you're sitting there and you can believe that the person beside you or maybe me or somebody else is God's favorite. But I wonder, could you actually say, I'm God's favorite? Could you actually in your heart of hearts go into work tomorrow, into school, into college, wherever it is, and go, I really believe I'm God's favorite, that God's face shines on me? Or do you believe that God's angry at you? Do you believe that God likes other people more than he likes you? Do you believe that maybe you're just uh, not as entitled as somebody else? I want to say to you that God loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his favorite. He looks down on you. And he holds his favor out to you and he says, will you believe that you're my favorite and will you receive my favor? My favor, my divine enablement, my empowering presence is available to you. Will you posture, will you position your heart to receive it? The other thing is this, and I find this encouraging. You can grow in favor. That it's not something that's kind of set at birth and that's it. You can actually grow in the amount of favor you have with God. How do I know this? Because Luke 2.52 tells me this. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The Son of God grew in wisdom, mentally, intellectually. He grew in stature. He grew physically. And Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. And so if the Son of God can grow in favor, so can you and I. The level of favor in our lives can increase. We can do something to position ourselves to receive more favor. So let's get back to the Christmas story. Why Mary? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why Mary? There were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of girls on the earth at that time 2,000 years ago. Why Mary? Was it arbitrary? Was it random selection? Was it just God said to Gabriel, Gabriel, just go down there and find a girl and put my son in her womb. It doesn't really matter. I'm not too fussy who it is. Like, why Mary? What was it about her? There was too much at stake. It couldn't be random. This is the most significant event in history. God couldn't risk it on just anyone. Mary must have done something to somehow position herself to receive favor. There was something about Mary. Look at Luke 1.30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Found favor. See, I said that one word for favor in the Bible is charis. But there's another word for favor in the Bible. And it means this, to gaze steadily or to take a special interest in. We were in the Fat Gherkin and Moira yesterday for lunch and there was three people sitting at the table across from us and one of them was American. And you ever have that just sense where I think I know them, but I don't know how. I feel like somehow in life our paths have crossed. And, and being American, they were being a little bit louder than anyone else. And uh, if you're American here, I don't mean the part of America you come from. Um, 
And I kept, and Becky kept going, Craig, you're staring. Craig, you're staring. And I'm like, sorry. And then I kept, I kept trying to figure out how I knew this person. I was gazing steadily. I was focused on them. Maybe if you're single and you see somebody in Tesco and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're lifting your, your uh, digestives off the shelf and you suddenly see somebody and you gaze steadily at them, you focus on them, then you catch yourself on. You know, it's, it's this sense of staring almost. It's like, it's like you're looking, you're, you're paying attention to, you're taking a special interest, you're observing, you're watching, you're studying. It's as if God looked around the earth and he saw Mary. And he took a special interest. There was something about her. And we read this, don't we, in Second Chronicles 16.9. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That God is constantly looking at every country and continent and city and town and village and street and home. And what's he looking for? He's looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. The eyes of the Lord are looking and they're looking and they're looking and he sees a heart and he goes, that's someone I can use. That's somebody I can favor. That's somebody that can do something significant if I give them the opportunity. Genesis 6, 8, it says this, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And as we go through scripture, we see this again and again. Joseph found favor. Moses found favor. We've been studying Ruth for four weeks. Who would say Ruth found favor in the eyes of the Lord? Absolutely. David found favor. Nehemiah found favor. Daniel found favor. Esther found favor. I could keep on going. Did God love them more? No. But he saw something. His heart was drawn towards them. They positioned themselves in such a way that they attracted like a magnet God's favor into their lives. You see, God's favor gives you opportunity, but your response to it determines what happens next. God holds out his favor. He says, here it is, but how you respond determines what happens. And so I want to know how I can grow in favor because I want more favor in my life. I'm not afraid to admit it. I would love more favor in my life. I would love more favor in my family. I would love more favor in my finances. I would love more favor in my church. I would love more favor um, on my son. I would love more favor on on my health. I would love more favor in every part of my life. Sometimes we listen to this and we're afraid of being, you know, sort of that health and wealth prosperity thing. Can I tell you that if God is making favor available, I'm grabbing it. You don't have to. I don't care. But I'm grabbing everything God has for me. And if there's favor available, I want every single bit of it. So let's look and see how we can position and posture ourselves like Mary to receive God's favor. First thing in there's three. A position of humility. A position of humility. God sent the angel Gabriel, uh, Luke 1. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. What made Mary so special was that she was so ordinary. She was a nobody. You would have passed her in the street and nothing stood out about her. She was a, a girl in her early to mid-teens. And she grew up in a little village called Nazareth. And Nazareth was the sort of place that people made jokes about. It wasn't a posh place. It wasn't a special place. It wasn't like she was born, you know, in 
the Malone Road or Coltra or North Down. Like, that is not where she was born if she was born in Northern Ireland today. I looked up, I was trying to figure out where to compare it to today, and then I realised I'll, I'll offend even more people than normal. And so I googled, and so I can blame Google here, I googled worst places in Northern Ireland to live. None of you want to know where it is, do you? Okay. <laughs> this is what came up in different forums. I went to two different forums. Worst place in Northern Ireland to live. Antrim. Korean. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. Straban. Balamina. Dungannon. Larne. Aye. Um, Pullglass in Belfast. I mean, even Santa won't stop there. He just, he just keeps going. You know what I mean? And then Lurgan and Craig Alvin. Portadown wasn't there, folks. Portadown wasn't there. <laughs> no bias up here whatsoever. 2,000 years ago, if you'd have said, worst place to live, people would have went, Nazareth. In fact, when, when uh, Philip encounters Jesus and tells his brother Nathaniel about Jesus, he happens to mention that Jesus comes from Nazareth. And look at, uh, look at the response. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked? Like, can anything good come out of that hole of a place? That's the way Nazareth was seen. You didn't expect much in life if you grew up in Nazareth. You didn't have big dreams or big hopes for the future. You just wanted to get a job, find a husband or wife, and hopefully to make the best you could out of life. And Mary had met her man, Joe. He was a carpenter. He was a good, hard-working man. And she's betrothed. She's getting ready to get married, and she's excited about the future. And so when an angel shows up and tells Mary that she's highly favored by God, in fact, she's going to carry God's son into the world, she looks at herself and she thinks, why would God choose somebody like me? I'm a nobody I'm unimportant. I'm insignificant. That's exactly why, Mary. And that's what she realizes. Mary realizes that it was her position of humility that attracted God's favor because later on when she goes to see Elizabeth, she sings a song. And let me uh, read the song to you. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. All the Church of Ireland people know this, don't they? The Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts and has brought down rulers from the throne. And he has lifted up the humble she understands that God didn't pick her because she was special and significant, but because she was so ordinary. You see, when the powerful or when the rich or when the influential or when the wealthy do something great, we can attribute their greatness to their background. And they probably do the same. But when God uses somebody ordinary, someone unimportant, somebody insignificant, we know it has to be him. God's heart and God's favor are drawn to humility. James 4, 6 says this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humility is simply seeing ourselves properly in relation to God and to other people. The famous missionary Hudson Taylor was once scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. And he was being introduced by the minister. And it was this beautiful church with lots of wealthy people. And the minister was really hamming up the introduction. And he told the Lord's congregation all that Hudson Taylor had accomplished in China. And then he presented Hudson Taylor as our illustrious guest. And Taylor came up to the pulpit and stood there quietly for a moment. 
And he opened his message by saying this, Dear friends, I am a little servant of an illustrious master. That's humility. That's why God was able to use Hudson Taylor in the way that he did. And that's the heart that Mary had. She saw herself as a humble servant. That leads to the second thing about her that drew or attracted God's favor. As well as a position of humility, the second thing was this. A position of availability. A position of availability. Look at what we read. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born of you, or to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. See, we read these stories, and we're so familiar with them that we lose what really this meant 2,000 years ago. We think this is a lovely wee nativity story, but for Mary, this was horrendous. This was the worst possible thing that could have happened to her. She's pregnant. She's not married. She's engaged, and Joe knows it's not his. And immediately she was going to probably lose two things. First of all, she was definitely going to lose her reputation. She was going to be the girl that we're going to whisper about because you know what small communities are like? <laughs> Mary, <laughs> the angel. I mean, she says an angel like, came and then she's like, pregnant. I mean, come on, Mary. Who do you think we are? For the rest of her life, she carried that stigma around with her. And then she was at very risk of at very best losing Joseph as her husband-to-be. And at very worst, he could have had her stoned to death for adultery. She was putting everything on the line, her reputation and her relationship. You see, when we read words like favored and highly favored, I don't know about you, but I think about you know, somebody enjoying this carefree life. Everything's great. They've got a black BMW that they can leave running in the car park. <laughs> they have this trouble-free life where everything's just bliss. You know, you get the best parking spot. Every time you pull up at Asda or Tesco, you get the best parking spot. Somebody just pulls out. And, you know, you get the checkout line, they're all busy. And just as you go to join a massive queue, a new person comes on and, and they say, you come over here. And it's just this bliss-filled, perfect life. That's what I think sometimes when I think about being highly favored. But here's the truth. Being favored can make life more difficult, at least for a while. What I have found that God's greatest favor often comes hidden in the most unfavorable moments and events of our lives. I'm going to repeat that because you need to hear this this morning. That God's greatest favor often comes wrapped up and hidden in what we consider to be the most unfavorable moments and events in our lives. The blessing is wrapped in a burden. The miracle is found in what looks like a mess. Favor comes with tears and fears. It comes with frustration and confusion. Favor with God can lead to disfavor with other people. Mary asks the question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Good question. Mary's thinking, I'm no doctor, but the last time I checked, virgins can't have babies. So how can this be? What, you know, how can this be? And I wonder... Is there anything in your life this morning that you're asking that question? How can this be? 
how can things have turned out like this? I just don't get it, God. What, do you, what are you doing? Some of you are looking at maybe your job situation right now and you're going, God, I just, I don't know what you're doing. How can this be? Or your marriage or your relationships or your lack of relationships or just you've got yourself into a man. You're going, God, how can this be? God, I need your favor. We need to understand that God's favor is not for our convenience or our status, but it's for his purposes. God gives people favor because he wants to do something in and through their life that they couldn't do without his divine enablement. And so his favor, God's favor normally comes along with more responsibility. So before you start saying, I want more favor, ask yourself, do I want more responsibility? God's favor often comes with facing more fears. And God's favor often comes with having to push through more obstacles and opposition. Let's go back to some of the Bible characters I mentioned earlier. Noah had favor. And you know what favor meant? That he had to build a 450-foot boat and get ridiculed because there hadn't been a drop of rain for years. Joseph had favor. What did that favor mean for Joseph? He was thrown into a pit by his brothers. He was put in prison for a crime he did not commit. And eventually he made it to the palace. Moses had favor. What did that mean? That he led a bunch of stubborn Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. David had favor. What did that mean? That Saul tried to kill him and hunt him down for about 13 years of his life. Nehemiah had favor. What did that mean? He had to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem while he was being criticized and ridiculed by those around him. Daniel had favor. That meant he got thrown in a lion's den. Favor doesn't always look like favor, at least not initially. It comes with responsibility and criticism and fear. And it's in that moment that we have to make the decision. Is it really worth it? Actually, that's not the question. The question is this, is he really worth it? And Mary had to answer that question. It would be the most important decision she would ever make. Eternity hung in the balance. All of heaven was on its tiptoes watching to see what this young girl's response would be. Is he worth it? And at some point in our lives, we all have to ask that question. When God asks us to do something, when God asks us to to give up something, when God challenges us about some area of our lives, we have to ask the question, is he worth it? Because my concern is this in the 21st century, that we are selling people a Christianity which is just all about comfort and convenience and meeting our needs. And we tell them all the benefits And we sell Jesus like a commodity and we sell all the benefits. But we don't sell the Jesus and we don't tell about the Jesus. We said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yes, all the blessings and benefits are there. But so is the sacrifice. So is the service. So is the pain and heartache sometimes. And there comes those moments when we have to determine, is he worth it? When we're faced with the decision, do I go this way, which is his way? Or this way, which is the way I really want to go. Is he worth it? And it's in those moments that we actually figure out, is he really Lord of our lives or is he just a convenient add-on? Is he just our saviour so we can get a ticket to heaven or is he truly Lord of our lives? And Mary decided he's worth it. Mary decided that she was willing to lose her reputation. She was even willing to lose Joseph, but she wasn't willing to lose her faith in God. Or maybe I should say this, she wasn't willing to lose the faith that God had placed in her. Because remember what I said earlier, it wasn't arbitrary, it wasn't random. God selected her because he saw something in her 
He saw her heart and he said, I trust you. If you have kids, you're very careful about who looks after them. There's only certain people you'll have look after your kids. God, the creator of the universe, was going to send his son into the world and he looked at Mary and he said, I trust you. I trust you to carry my son. I trust you to raise him. I trust you to teach him how to walk. I trust you to potty train him. I trust you to teach him the Psalms and the the law and to bring him up to know and love God. I trust you, Mary, with my son. And I'm asking myself, what has God entrusted to me? What has God entrusted to you? And what are you doing with that entrustment? See, Mary didn't fail. She wasn't perfect, but she didn't fail. Right at the cross at the very end of Jesus' life, Mary's still there. What has God entrusted to you and how are you stewarding that? Because why would God give you more of something if if he can't trust you with what he's already given you? Why would he give you more favor in an area when you're slacking in the job you've got? Why would he give you more favor in finances when you're stingy with what you've got? The Bible makes it very clear that he who is faithful in the little things can be trusted with much. What has God entrusted you with? And what are you doing with that entrustment? And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She said, yes, God. Yes. Whatever the, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. And finally, so she had a position of humility a position of availability, and finally, a position of faith. Again, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to be, be fulfilled. And then she goes down to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth immediately declares this over Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. When you think about it, what had Mary to go on? She had one visit from Gabriel, one word from God. I'm sure the next morning she woke up and did what most of us would do and said, was that just a dream? Did I, you know, just, did I eat something dodgy last night? Like, did that really happen? Was I hallucinating? Did I imagine it all? But Mary knew that God had spoken and that's all she needed to know. She didn't ask for all the details. I mean, when it says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will give birth to a son, Adam, and like, can you just slow down here a second? Like, I hear the words, but it sounds like, wah, wah, wah. You know, like, what does that mean? Like, technically, how does that happen? I don't want it. And what does that mean for the future? She didn't ask for that. All she said was, yes, I trust you, God. I trust you. And you know what I've realized? that God doesn't always give us all the answers, but sometimes we just need to trust him. A lot of us are looking for more information when what we really need is just more faith and more courage. That there's so many things we know what we're meant to do. And God has made it clear in his word and through many circumstances. But we're not doing it. And we're going, God, just, make it, you know, just, another, just, just give me one more sign. And God's saying, there's more signs in the M1 I've given you in the last year. Like, just do it. You just need to step out in faith. And you know what it is. And you know what I've called you to do. You don't need all the details up front. You just need to step out in faith. And that's why she was highly favored. And favor changes your life. Favor changes how you see yourself and how you see yourself as part of God's story. 
Because you realize when God favors you that you might be a nobody in your own eyes. You might be so ordinary and so insignificant, but somehow God's favor has taken somebody ordinary like you and he's done or he's going to do great things. Look at what Mary says. She sings actually in verses 48 and 49. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. She says, I am blessed. All generations are going to talk about me. That sounds big-headed, but it's not. It's because the Lord has done great things for me. When's the last time you talked about what God has done for you? I'm finishing here now. When's the last time you looked at your life and were able to see his favor? See, a lot of us, when something bad happens, we go, oh, flipping typical, always happens to me, nothing ever, you know, so it's low. What if we were to turn that around and put on new glasses and start to look for the good? Start to actively see the goodness of God. What if we were to start speaking God's favor over our lives? Because most of us do speak stuff over our lives, but it's not good. I'm rubbish at that. I could never get that job. They'd never go out with me. And what we're actually doing is negatively prophesying our future there. Because the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. What if we were to actually do the opposite? And this is what I've been doing. And I... There's a part of me when I get to this part of the message, I want to pull back because I'm afraid of being seen as one of those people on TV, like Christian TV, okay? But I can tell you for the last 20 years, I have declared God's favor over my life. I have declared God's blessing over my life. The great thing about mobile phones is you can drive along and talk and people think you're talking on your hands free. And I'll be driving along and I've been doing this for about 20 years and I will speak, I will say, I declare God your favor over my family. I declare your blessing and favor over my health. I declare your blessing and favor over my church. I declare your blessing and favor over my future, over my marriage. Lord God, I declare your blessing and favor over Elijah. I declare your blessing and favor over my finances. I declare your blessing and favor over my ministry. And I speak and decree and declare God's blessing over every part of my life. Have I had a perfect life? No. Have I had a problem-free life? No. But do I know that God's favor has followed me? Yes. I know it has. It hasn't been without problems. It hasn't been without difficulties. It hasn't been without struggles. But God's favor has given me the divine enablement to go through those things. And he has blessed me and his favor has shone upon me. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you. Instead of prophesying negatively over your life, start speaking favor over your kids, over your home, over your finances, over your family, over your Christmas dinner where it might be a bit tense. Where there's always that weird uncle who shows up and drinks a bit too much. If you're not sure who that is, it could be you. Start speaking God's favor. You know, and I, I was... I had a whole end into this message about a friend of mine called Brian. And I, I went through his life and I was going to tell you all about the favor of God in Brian's life. And just as I was walking out the door this morning, I felt God say this. Why are you talking about somebody else? Because that only encourages, it's easy to see God's favor in somebody else's life. Why not talk about your own life? And he started to bring back memories to me, but just, I've only got two minutes left. And I just began to think about God's favor in my own life in recent years. When I'm in Lurgan as a curate, as an assistant, and I arrive there and there's a rector and another curate who's been there for five years, then there's me. And I'm thinking, I'm going to coast for five years. And the rector and the other curate left within a year and a half. Nothing to do with me, let me say. 
And I'm on my own running the biggest parish in Ireland. The church, biggest church of Ireland parish in Ireland. And everybody thought we'd get a new rector in three or four months. Sixteen months. And God's favor was all over that. We get a call to Dublin to a church that had gone from 350 down to 45 or 50 faithful people. It was about to close. They had no money to pay me. They said, look, if the bishop looks into our finances, which they're meant to do, we can't afford you. We can't afford a rectory, but come down, we'll see what we can do. We move into a house there. We pour our lives into the place, and God starts pouring his favor in. Was it easy? No. I remember we were living in the first house we lived in for two and a half years. Elijah was a baby on the kitchen floor and we could hear the rats scraping on the, behind the covered helmet things. We could hear the huge rats scraping behind every day. The damp was up the walls, the place stank. The brains would get blocked every six or seven days and I'd be out with the poles. That is not a pleasant job. Those guys in Dynarod earn every penny that they get. But after calling them out six or seven times, I bought my own rods to do it myself. True story. God's favor showed up. Hundreds of people came to know Christ. Was it easy? No. But his favor was there. From a church that was broke with about 45 or 50 people, when we left, there were 300 plus people and their average budget was 450,000 euros a year. God's favor was on that. We left there, we go on sabbatical, which God provided for. We come back, we're unemployed, both of us. We've got a two-year-old son. We go to Porch Church just randomly, rent a house off Gumtree. The last week of our sabbatical, the Causeway Coast Vineyard pastor calls me in, says, do you want a job, Becky? Do you want a job? We've heard this story. We already approved the finances before you even went on sabbatical. Favor. We come to the end of our time there. We know God's drawn it to an end. And then we hear about this wee church in Craig Alvin called Hope. And God's favor has followed us here. We know his favor is upon us. Look at us. Now, we're not the best church in the world. I'm not boasting, but I'm just, if I'm boasting, I'm boasting in him. It's all him. I am not that great, folks. Anyone who knows me knows that. People who I'm at the school with go seriously, like. We remember you, Cooney. It is not my background. It is not my gifting. It is not my qualification. It is not my education. It is his favor. And it's not just for me. I can only talk about my own life because that's my experience. I want you to experience it. So why don't you this week as you're driving around, or if you're in the house on your own, start speaking to Crane and declaring God's favor over everything in your family and then start watching to see as it shows up and thank him for it. And may our attitude be like Mary. Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out and I can't make sense of this. But Lord, may it be to me according to your word. Let's pray together.